Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 81. My guest today is Rich Velotis, pastor of New Life Fellowship in the heart of Queens, New York City. Uh, before we get into the interview, I, I want to just speak a little bit about where we are. Uh, last week, of course, we were mourning the death of George Floyd. That continues and riots continue and uh, protests continue. My family will be at a peaceful protest tomorrow uh, in Guelph here. I, I know many of us white people who are uh, having our eyes opened are learning how to carry pain that we haven't had to identify before. Uh, if you're feeling that uncomfortableness, um, stay with it. Stay with it. Go follow Kurt, Caitlin Curtis. Uh, she wrote some really great resources just the other day on, for those of you for whom this discomfort is new, how to get to know it and what to do with it. So go uh, and check that out. I'll link that in the show notes. And I'm hoping to have Caitlin on the show, uh, which would be wonderful. But anyway, uh, I, I want to say that I've spent this week doing my best to center voices of color and black voices on my Instagram. Uh, Rich is uh, a wonderful pastor with a heart deeply formed in his spiritual perspective for racial reconciliation. And so I'm, I'm glad that we get to share this. We don't discuss race a ton, but I think it's just even important to understand that, that of his kind of five core values for a spiritual life, racial reconciliation is one of them. So anyway, I'll get out of the way. And here is Rich Velotis. When did you start, like these five elements that, that you pull together in, in your book and that you spend so much time thinking about, when did those uh, kind of, give me the genesis of some of those pieces. I mean, tell us all the five for my listeners who haven't been privy to our private conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I'm writing The Deeply Formed Life and I'm talking about five transformative values um, to root us in the way of Jesus. And those five values are contemplative uh, rhythms, racial reconciliation, interior examination, sexual wholeness, and missional presence. And I think from the onset of my Christian journey, I mean, I became a Christian as a 19-year-old with 15 other family members in a storefront Pentecostal Spanish-speaking church in Come East on. Brooklyn. That's awesome. And so, you know, mother, father, brother, three sisters, cousins, dogs. I mean, everyone was coming yep. to Christ in that context. There. <laughs> uh, and so when I became a Christian in that context, I was immediately um, encountered with uh, the power of God, uh, you know, signs and wonders, gifts of the spirit. Uh, and so that was my initial kind of entry into the kingdom of God through that particular tribe and tradition. And it was about uh, two years after that, where I was really uh, I went from Pentecostal to very quickly because of TBN, word of faith kind of um, uh, that kind of stream there. And so I was watching and buying all the videos of prosperity preachers and um, actually learned a lot from them and realized within not too long after, like this, some, there seems to be some excess here, um, but still nonetheless um, had an appreciation for faith. Yes. And like asking big prayers. Yes. Uh, and so that was kind of like it's my great, first, It's great yeah. stuff until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> until it's not, you know? <laughs> and so I, that was kind of my first 
um, introduction into Christianity through that, those kind of streams. And then as a student in college, as a sophomore at Nyack College in Rockland County, New York, I was introduced to the contemplative tradition through um, a book on, by, through, by Henry Nouwen. And I Which took a one? class on spiritual formation. It was The Return of the Prodigal Son. Beautiful. Read Return of the Prodigal Son. And um, uh, then I said, who is this guy? Uh, so I'm 41 years old. This was me at 21 years old or so. And I said, who is this guy? I need to read everything else he's written uh, and read The Way of the Heart, uh, that, which led me into uh, understanding who are the desert fathers and mothers and I, like, who are these people? So started reading, uh, you know, stuff on St. Anthony and uh, Benedict and, uh, and so started going down that road of the contemplative life, got introduced to Thomas Merton, mm -hmm. his writing. And then from that point on, the contemplative tradition got really rooted uh, in me. Mm -hmm. uh, went to seminary and, uh, and got a global theology where I was starting to read black theology, Latino theology, uh, liberation theology, started reading a lot of Gustavo Gutierrez and James Cone uh, and folks who have a, um, a particular uh, penchant for justice and, uh, and all of that there. So started reading that and, and went, wow. Uh, you know, we need to live this out for us. That was about a 23-year-old, 24-year-old. Uh, and got to New Life Fellowship Church and met Pete Scazzaro. I had read his books as a 27-year-old. And by the time I was 29, I was uh, applying for a pastoral position at that church because I didn't know Pete was in Queens. I lived in Brooklyn, 15 minutes from the church. I didn't know he, his church was that close. And so the emotional interior examination part of me um, started to um, uh, come to life at that point. Uh, and then uh, at the same time, because New Life has 75 nations represented in our congregation mm. uh, and people from all over the world, you know, at the nearby hospital, 123 languages spoken. So the racial justice and reconciliation component um, started coming to, you know, to, uh, to life as a 30 year old. And then soon after, because of Pete's holistic kind of paradigm of sexuality and such. So in my early, by the time I, 10 years ago is by the time those five values started crystallizing into what has become a paradigm for me, um, as what it means to follow Jesus in this, in this time that we're living in. Mm, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Aspects of that mirror my journey, uh, grew up kind of in an evangelical context, but not, um, I would say, out, I mean, outside of North America. And so with fewer of some of the really stereotypical negative trappings of uh, the evangelical church, um, it's, it's different outside of the United States and Canada. Uh, different set of problems, but maybe not all the yeah. same problems as we have here. Um, and then really as a, as a teenager got kind of filled with the spirit in a very charismatic understanding of what that means. Yeah. Uh, joined the Toronto Blessing, moved to Canada. And, and so totally got kind of renovated into that framework in that context, which at the time was so good, so fruitful. Uh, so much what mm -hmm. I needed and then moved, moved on, kept a few things, ditched a yeah. few things, yeah. <laughs> asked some hard yeah. questions. Um, 
and and interestingly, the contemplative was pretty much kind of what drew me back in. I remember mm. this point uh, where I had I hadn't been to church in like eight years. Uh, love Jesus. Ironically, was on staff at a church, and I said to my wife one day, "I just want to go somewhere that feels like rich and traditional, and like people have been doing this for hundreds of years." And I don't want someone to hand me a volunteer sheet the minute I walk in the door <laughs> or ask for my email address. And right. she said, oh, you should go to the Catholic church. They will not talk to you. You can sit in the back and, you can, and you'll be totally fine. And so I literally walked right. out my front door, found the Catholic church in my neighborhood, sat down and just cried for an hour mm -hmm. and like, had an encounter with God in a context and language that was totally foreign to me. Mm. And, and then got uh, drawn into Henry now and myself ended up, uh, I've been able to go to a retreat at the Genesee Abbey where he lived for a while and just mm. so blessed into that contemplative stuff. And then mm. uh, was drawn into the emotional health side from a guy who wrote a book after being heavily uh, influenced by Pete's Pete's Gazzara's work. Mm. Um, so yeah, lots of touch points there. And then the racial piece is, you know, as a, as a white guy, um, a white male, mm. basically starting a podcast because I was trying to get a book launched, began to say like, first off, hold up. Um, do, do, does the world need another one of these? <laughs> um, and sort of, trying to then learn and then, mm. and then sit quietly uh, at the feet of men and women of, of color and of indigenous people and, and hear the stories and learn and mm. um, start to try to figure out, okay, there is a role for me. Uh, increasingly, it seems to be to publicly listen, to publicly mm. learn to provide a model for my white, I mean, for everybody, but especially for other white mm. dudes in sure. their twenties and thirties to be like, mm. Oh, this is what it looks like to learn and to sit down yeah. and to be humbled and to grow. So uh, I'm just so thankful that mm. people who don't owe me squat <laughs> take the time to teach me. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I have heard you probably speak the least on the sexual wholeness piece. And so I would love to hear a little bit, just, just give us a bit more of a grid for what we're talking about or what you're talking about on the sexual wholeness framework. Yeah. My content that I draw from uh, comes a lot from theology of the body work by John Paul II. And um, so over the past few years, I've spent a lot of time reading um, content along those lines. The th main thrust of it is um, we live in a society um, that splits our bodies from our souls. And whether it happens on a um, non-religious context of uh, splitting our souls from our bodies or whether it happens in a Christian context, church context, um, it, it tends to happen. And uh, the notion is Christopher West who is somewhat of a scholar on um, theology of the body of John Paul II, has talked about various uh, diets. Uh, that's the phrase he uses to understand the, 
the sexual uh, spiritual connection. And he says uh, there are three diets of the world, essentially. There is the starvation diet, there is the fast food diet, and there is the banquet. And for the starvation diet, it is suppression, repression. It is to deny any sort of desires that arise from your body. Uh, and so as a result, we split our, we, we're, again, this is Gnosticism at its core. It's For our sure. souls are good, our spirits are good, our bodies are bad. And so consequently, we have people acting out, lying. We don't, know, we don't have parents who know how to disciple their children when their bodies change. Uh, no honest conversations about um, what's happening in our ever-changing bodies. So that's the first part of it. Then there's the, uh, the, um, the fast food diet, which splits your soul from your body. It's all, your, your body is now driving everything, your appetites, your mm-hmm. desires. So there's no discernment. There's no, there's no uh, reflection and contemplation about uh, our bodies and and so uh, as a kid, I was exposed to, you know, pornography at a very young age. Before I knew how my own body worked, I saw other bodies at work. And as a result, it, it gave me a, a really terrible grid uh, to see the world as well as to understand my own body. And so I lived in a, and we live in a society where if you want it, go get it. And so there's very little discernment. And then there's the banquet where ultimately our bodies and our souls uh, were meant for union with God and union with people, but not necessarily in a, uh, Marva Dawn would say it this way, there's a difference between genital sexuality and social sexuality, not in the genital sexuality sort of a way where, uh, but in a social sexuality sort of a way. Uh, Jesus was fully human, the fullness of God, the fullness of of humanity, and Jesus did not experience genital sexuality. And so uh, those are some of the big ideas I'm trying to unpack in the book, which is more of a framing of understanding the connection between our bodies and our souls. And then what are the particular practices um, to begin to uh, live with greater integrity, greater wholeness, uh, greater union with ourselves. Mm. Oh, I love that. That is so good and so needed. So necessary. Um, mm. What do practices look like without divulging all of your secrets? Obviously, people are going to have to buy this book. But what are, what are we yeah. talking about? I mean, I'm talking about my title is A Deeply Formed Life. And by deeply formed, I'm talking about us um, not just being primarily formed and forming into the image of Jesus, having our lives marked by love. Uh, but uh, but formed in the, the the sense of the word of uh, what does it mean to be a human being that's properly formed, uh, and so to to be formed well requires us to very clearly identify the ways that we have been deformed, uh, and so I like to combine lots of whether it's um, family systems theory work with our own understanding of sexuality. And so one practice very simply, and this works as well with just race, uh, there's lots of overlap of what are the messages that you have received? How have you been formed? And so helping people do their own little genogram of sexuality. What are the messages? What are the scripts? Um, What has happened to you in your body? 
um, and obviously uh, lots of traumatic experiences people are holding. And so exercises like these often require safe spaces to process. Uh, but uh, being able to look at the ways we have been formed and the messages that we have received consciously or subconsciously interpreted, um, that's a very simple practice that I go into. And to the extent that we can lead people to identify how we've been shaped and formed or deformed, um, I think gives us uh, a little bit more hope to see people reject the narratives, the stories, the scripts um, for something a little bit better. Mm, that's so good. I was, my wife and I were going through uh, Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson, who created the uh, couples EFT therapy. Mm-hmm. And she had this exercise mm-hmm. regarding to sexual expectations. And it was, it was you know, to, to write down, think about and write down what it is that your fundamental expectations are out of mm-hmm. sexuality in the context of relational sexual union. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd never even thought to do that. Right. And I like to think I'm a pretty intentional, <laughs> cognitively present kind of person. Yeah. And, you know, and my first assumption was that I was going to find myself writing down all these like very specific carnal acts that I want to perform. Right. Uh, right. But what I found myself writing down was like, I want to feel special. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, want to, I want to make someone else feel special. Yeah. And so if that's actually... Oh wow! And suddenly, I can start to see how that's driving various behaviors and and, and fears and and shame and vulnerability and yeah. you know, and it all starts to fall fall apart in a really helpful way. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's wholeness. It's it's you know the idea of I mean in terms of the of love making. It's it's love making doesn't doesn't start when our clothes come off at night. It starts when our clothes are put on in the morning. You know, it's, yes. it's that idea of how do we, how do we love well um, throughout the course? How are we making love throughout the course of the day? I think that's, but there's a wholeness that um, I'm trying to identify from the ways that we split soul from body yes. on a regular basis. So good. Tell me uh, on, on kind of, discipleship and, and this deep forming as a pastor. Yeah. How, I mean, every single pastor I talk to just about everywhere in the world, I say, what's your biggest challenge? And they say discipleship yeah. um, without fail. Yeah. Where do you sit just philosophically and, and practically and kind of ecclesiologically, where do you sit in terms of how that works in a, in a, in your context, how much of that is your responsibility? How much of that is on people to be responsible for themselves? Um, and, and then practically, how does that play out for, for you guys? Small, yeah, uh, great, great, whatever. great question. Yeah, in terms of discipleship, this could be a whole big conversation here. Um, but I'd say a couple of things. One, I think the problem of discipleship, the limit of discipleship, particularly in evangelical Pentecostal charismatic settings where I find myself in, is there's lots of attention placed on context and process. Uh, but not much time spent on content for the particular moment that we're in. Mm. And so get your group of three, your, you know, um, and this is not to speak disparagingly of other of people, but what's your, your huddle, whatever language you want right. to use. And, uh, you know, find your context and what's the process. 
And, and what we have, because we have not been able which, to, to really locate what are the particular issues that we need to be discipled in this. I think, I don't know if that question is typically asked. And so there's, it's generic discipleship. It's I'm going to learn the Bible and I'm going to learn how to pray and learn how to share my faith and maybe manage my money, which are all good fundamental foundational things. I don't know if it often moves beyond that. Mm. And, uh, and so I think at, for one, the, I think we have to look at the content, which is why, I mean, in the book that I'm writing, I'm trying to identify what are the primary, um, areas of discipleship that we need to give ourselves to, because I mean, you can have someone who is studying and praying and reading the Bible every day and still racist and still yes. greedy and still, um, uh, you know, sees women in a particular way. And, uh, and so we're just, we're being discipled in the name of Jesus, but still living in the way of Satan, you know? Absolutely. And so um, I think that's, so I just think that needs to be addressed in terms of, in, you know, ecclesiologically and pastorally, I realized as a pastor that beyond just the layers of discipleship, whether it's preaching ministry, whether it's small group context, where we create space for dialogical, um, uh, you know, processing and such, uh, small groups, whatever it is, I think we need multiple layers of discipleship um, to disciple someone well. But I, I think what people desperately need are models, mm -hmm. models to say, okay, that's what it looks like. And what I have found, even in this pandemic, I realized that um, the, the average Christian does not know how to pray. It's not that they don't have time to pray. It's not that they, they're so distracted. It's they do not know what to do. And, um, and so I've been leading these midday prayers every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And part of it was just to keep our congregation meaningfully connected and we could pray together. But I realized in the messages I was getting from people and the emails I was getting from folks is they needed someone to show them how to do it. Mm. And I mean, we are in good company with Jesus' disciples who ask, the only thing he, they ask him to teach is teach, him, teach me how to pray, not how to preach or prophesy or cast demons out. They say, teach us, teach us how to pray. And um, I think prayer being the foundation of everything here, um, people need models. So I, I do think it is ultimately up to someone to establish a first-hand spirituality with Jesus, not a second-hand spirituality with Jesus. But to cultivate a first-hand spirituality with Christ requires modeling, requires, let me take you by the hand here. Uh, and so how do you create a church culture where there's enough people who can take other people by the hand? That's where we get to the complexity of scalability and yes. Uh, the time of that we put into discipling others for the sake of discipling others for the sake of discipling others. But those are a few thoughts that come to mind along those lines. Take a very quick break to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Thank you guys, each and every one of you who sow into my work, who keep the show on the air, who encourage me, who share these episodes. All of you are uh, dear in my heart. Thank you so much. And uh, actually, I've just put everybody's name into uh, the acknowledgements for my devotional, which comes out, uh, I think it's actually going to come out in September. I've got to pin down the date, but I, I've realized I need a vacation before I can launch this book because I'm exhausted. So uh, that's another matter. Anyway, uh, thank you to my patrons. Love to you all.
let's get back to the show. Anecdotally, the problem that one of the problems that we're faced with in our own movement right now is kind of the the opposite is that our discipleship resources are all about our particular values. Uh, mm. And we're not teaching anyone some of the basics of the Christ life. Yeah. We'll go deep into deliverance and how to prophesy and how to cast out demons and all these things <laughs> that we've developed in our value set over the various mm. courses mm. of time. Mm. But we'll discover that, you know, somebody's drowning in debt 10 years in, and, and obviously that's a complicated situation, but, but on examination, we might learn that actually they don't even know math. Right. And so it's like, okay, that's part of being a responsible adult, uh, which is mm-hmm. we've now realized something we've never spoken about. And mm-hmm. then I'll hear another pastor do a sermon on debt management. And I'm like, whoa, that is so eminently practical. And I have not considered preaching on that subject. <laughs> We're busy getting deep into whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I guess there's layers. I mean, I, mean, I taught on anger recently and, and sadness. And for our movement, that was shockingly practical and shockingly mm. real world. Mm. And, but to your point, uh, something that our people really needed to be need formation in right now. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's coming from my own life. Uh, yeah, yeah. I suppose that <clears throat> in different contexts, you're right. There'll be different areas of emphasis. And for some, um, a particular topic is, is revelation. And, and for some, it's, it's the everyday thing. But um, uh, I think, I get, yeah, I think that's, that's something to keep in mind for sure when we talk about discipleship in terms of the content that we're trying to disciple people through. As someone who, who has got a significant charismatic <clears throat> heritage and then uh, has undoubtedly uh, wrestled with elements of that and chosen to keep certain things and, and leave other things behind, where do you introduce that, say, to uh, a blank canvas, to a to a, a human being who's who's new to the things of Christ? Um, are there charismatic aspects that you would sort of be like, yeah, cool, uh, go this far and no further, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. As as it was said about um, A. B. Simpson, I went to a Christian Missionary Alliance college and then the Christian Missionary Alliance Seminary, Alliance Theological Seminary even though that was not my tradition or denomination, that's where I went to school. And so, you know, the running quip would be, you know, A.B. Simpson would say, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance would say something about when it comes to spiritual gifts, you know, there is seek not, forbid not, and you better not, you know, and it was one of those things. And, and so, I mean, I think in, in talking about whether it's the contemplative life or charismatic gifts and, and that expression, I think first and foremost, it's, I, I think, first of all, I think those two need to be uh, joined together. And sadly, the charismatics are on one side, the contemplatives are usually on the other. Uh, but because, because I have a high pneumatology, um, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is very much present and active and wants to um, uh, lead us into wholeness, whatever that wholeness, whatever form it comes in, I think from the very onset of someone's journey, they need to be introduced to these things. Um, uh, And I think if it's done in a context where the contemplative uh, and wisdom and prudence is now forming the foundation of the power, I think the contemplative prayerful tradition really is what anchors Mm. the, the contemplative 
power dynamic. It's Paul. It's you know, it's Paul in Corinthians thirteen. It's love. It's it's not that the charismatic side is not about love. I think it's often the case where uh, love is not the motivating factor behind why we want to see signs and wonders and pray for people. Um, but I think it needs to be. I, I want Jesus to be to manifest his love you know, in, in his way, healing way here in this. But I think the contemplative tradition is what really keeps our, sifts our motives mm. and keeps us silent and present before God that can now inform the charismatic Pentecostal expressions of power. Yes. Um, but make no mistake about it. I mean, I hold on to them, but I, I do think it is the contemplative component that comes first mm. um, than before anything else. I feel like that even just obviously this is only one particular angle of it, but there's like a, a fragility in, in many Pentecostal and charismatic circles, right? That if we, mm-hmm. I guess it's a carryover from probably a combination of the holiness movement, as well as even kind of word of faith bits and pieces, right? If we get anything wrong, then we grieve the Holy Spirit and we and, and it, and the Holy Spirit's gone, and then yeah. we'll probably add in some mammon because if <laughs> if the Holy Spirit's gone, then then our movement falls apart and we don't get paid. Right. Um, so 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 there's a Pentecostal kind of holiness fragility that says you know everything's very delicate, and then in the contemplative, I feel like there's a robustness that's like actually God's everywhere in everything, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like you can kind of relax. Um, yeah, and yeah, trying to draw, I guess like the expectation of powerful encounter the pneumatology yeah into a settled robustness mm-hmm. that it's it's not mine yeah yeah and i think i don't know if it, it was uh, maybe dale bruner who's actually a reformed guy i believe um who's written the best commentaries on the gospel of matthew and the gospel of john and uh, i wrote a book he he wrote a book called the um, the shy member of the trinity uh, on the Holy Spirit, a small little book. And he talked about folks being, um, you know, the spirit has, people are either afraid of the spirit uh, or um, the phrasing was we either force the spirit, we're afraid of the spirit. And there was another one that um, I think for literative purposes started with an F, but I, I can't think about it right now. Um, but I, I do think the, the, the person who's truly a contemplative I think recognizes the charismatic gifts and presence of God in all things. Sadly, that hasn't been the case. Um, but I do think that is the foundation of, uh, oh, it was frightened of the spirit, uh, force the spirit. And, and I can't remember. It'll be, I'll, I'll tweet about it. John. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I tweet about it. <laughs> no, we've forgotten the spirit. That's what it is. We've forgotten the spirit. We're afraid of the spirit or we force the spirit. Mm, Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and I've definitely encountered, begun to intuit for myself the necessity of the balancing all those bits and pieces. Yeah. And, but even, even just like that it's the same language. That, mm-hmm. that it's like, actually, these are not foreign concepts. Yeah. There should be a cohesiveness to it that's often not found. Mm, yes. Yes, that's good. Uh, what, what are you, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what is the challenge that you're looking to bring all this to bear upon right now? Like, what is one of your kind of real world difficulties that, you, that you're asking for the Spirit's guidance on right now? 
I think my biggest difficulty is um, being present to myself, to my wife and my children. Um, someone asked me the other day, if there was one prayer that you could pray the rest of your life, what would that one prayer be? And for me, it was actually very simple and I knew it intuitively. And my prayer would be, Lord, may I be present to your presence um, in all the ways that it manifests. And that would be my prayer that I would pray the rest of my life. And um, <clears throat> I recognize that being home, uh, socially distanced with my wife and kids, we are around each other more than we've ever been. And the temptation for me to be emotionally absent from them is it's huge, uh, whether through engagement on social media, whether through reading books or work, it's very easy to be emotionally unavailable to my kids and to my wife. And so I, it's a temptation I face every day. Um, it's something I'm very much aware of. Um, it's something that um, I, I, you know, when I was on sabbatical last year for four months, I was off of social media for four months. And um, I think I, I need to return to greater seasons of uh, intermittent fasting uh, because I, I just, I think that the, sh the pull of distraction is, um, is very heavy. You know, sociologists talk about a continuous state of partial attention that we live mm, in. Yep. And, um, you know, I know that to be true for myself. And I mean, I had to have my wife change my password. I told her, honey, if I get tempted, I'm going to need you to change all my passwords on social media. She was happy to oblige. And she, and <laughs> so she happy. ended up, and she did actually, because I realized the pull and I had to say, I, I know I'm going to end up sneaking away and, and watching this stuff here. So please just change my password. Uh, so I think, but I think that is my ever, that's, the, that's, that's the way that I'm ever tempted and the challenge before me. I have no problem strategizing with my church and leadership. I have no problem um, prayerfully considering what do we need to do as a church? How do we disciple others? How do we train? How, um, I think the biggest challenge for me is being present to the presence of God as it comes through my family. Mm. Yeah, that feels real. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm very emotionally forward. I identify as a strong Enneagram too. It's very much how can I help and be present. And um, I feel most of the time quite present with my kids most specifically because I'm with them while my wife's working from home. Uh, but the overwhelm that I then find myself in and then pushing back and then it's very much like the, the desire to check out or turn... Mm -hmm zone out. I mean, last night, last night, my son, daddy, put your phone down. I, I'm yeah. trying to talk to you. And he's <laughs> never had to be that explicit with me. And, yeah. and I did. And I, and I said, I, I, I said, and I, I explained for him as I, as I, I said, look, today, today, daddy is really exhausted. And, yeah. and, I, and I'm not as present as I should be. And he understands. And, and he's mm -hmm. 11. But yeah, that's real. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Yeah. That. Yeah. And it's my ever struggle. It's, um, I, and so, somewhat of the, you asked me even before we recorded this, and I think this, um, uh, this connects to that, you know, um, in recent years, my Twitter following has increased 
And when I was first tweeting and um, there was a purity to my soul of when I, I said what I wanted to say and lots of it was naive and um, didn't think anyone would listen to me, but I just was saying it. And I really didn't care. Uh, now that I have a decent Twitter following, you know, relatively speaking, um, you know, I'm much more aware of how my voice carries. And so I think there is that um, subtle idolatrous motivation in the heart. What are people saying about me? What's going on? And I think, um, thank God my wife is very blunt and honest with me. Um, she has no problem saying, you're, you're one of those what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. So um, yeah, I, I think it's um, to be present is my, my biggest prayer because it's my, it's my biggest struggle, which is why centering prayer, contemplative life, that's why I need it more than anyone else because mm. I, I'm very um, I'm tempted to not be present. Mm. Yeah. I've been working through some stuff in my family in the last little while, um, revelations about certain things in my grandparents' marriage and things I've known about my parents' marriage. My parents were divorced. Uh, I had, I was, I was painting shelves the other day and, and I arguing angrily with the Lord as I usually do when <laughs> doing manual labor. And, and I had this, this sense that it was like, for various reasons in my grandfather's life, my father's life, and in numerous different generational directions behind me, there was a destruction of legacy. There was a gift that was carried, and then perhaps the, the tree grew beyond the capacity of the roots to sustain, and there was a, a collapsing, falling downness that in some ways I have felt robbed and and uh, wrestling through that with, with God and saying, okay, do it. Have I been, have I lost an inheritance? Am I creating something from scratch? Um, mm. And there's multiple layers to that. And, 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 but, but one of the pieces that kind of settled in my spirit was this idea of the pruning uh, that, that allows the roots to grow mm. and to even redeem what wasn't known and what couldn't be accomplished in generations past and I, for all of my father's gifts and my father and I have a wonderful, wonderful relationship today. I remember the years when I really needed him to be present and he was absent emotionally, mm -hmm. uh, physically present, but emotionally and mentally absent. And my grandfather, who was a huge spiritual figure in my life, uh, as I know yours was for you, mm -hmm. my mother has told me of the years where he was absent yeah. and, when, and where she really needed more from him than he mm. gave, partly because he was growing his ministry and his mm -hmm. career. And I felt like, it's like, God, is there, is there actually even the invitation within what you and I and, and people of our age and generation are building, a holisticness that we bring our children with us, mm -hmm. that we could be a kind of, that we can put that line in the sand and say, actually, there's no more ministry orphans. Mm -hmm. um, that's my mm -hmm. hope and prayer as also as a children's pastor. Um, I know that's a very long winded thing to say, but, and, but I think you're right. And I, and I think the, the subtle temptation is um, to treat our children uh, the same way that the disciples treated children in Jesus's time. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jesus is saying, let the, the little ones come to me. I wonder if that is a good leadership lesson yes. for whether it's, 
um, vocational pastors or uh, um, tent making pastors, whatever, my vocational pastors or such, whatever it is, I think Jesus' invitation, let the little children come to me. That sounds to me like a verse that pastors must begin to embrace because of the temptation to leave our children behind. Mm. Yeah, good word. Thanks, Rich. This has been so good. Uh, yeah. when, when, does it, when does the book come out? Deeply Formed Life comes out September 15th. Um, and so I say just about four months from now, it feels like I've been in this thing forever. <laughs> I started writing it in 2017 and, uh, man, this thing takes a while. And, uh, so 20, September 15th, um, with Waterbrook, uh, feel great about it. And, uh, hopefully the goal is that, um, I'm trying to offer a larger, wider, more robust perspective of spiritual formation. Uh, that is not written from a monastery or the mountains, but written uh, from a subway, um, written with uh, uh, ambulances and um, uh, fire trucks blaring in the background. And, and a written from the heart of Queens. <laughs> written for the heart of Queens. That the contemplative life is possible. Come on. Uh, that racial justice and reconciliation uh, in where half of our boroughs foreign born is a possibility in the kingdom of God, where in a culture of frenetic um, dizzying distraction, that interior examination uh, is possible in Jesus's name, where we can move beyond splitting our soul and our bodies and that we can be uh, a presence in the world uh, missionally, where as Robert Mulholland would say, we're not in the world for God, but we're in God for the world. And um, I think that's the kind of missional presence that we need. So, yeah, that's the hope. Mm. <laughs> we'll, see how, we'll see what happens. But uh, September 15th, that's the hope. Oh, I'm so excited. Listeners, I, am, I have not been this excited, just so you all know. Uh, You're just saying that, Jonathan. You say no, that not. all of your No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Sometimes I have to pretend. No, that's not true. Uh, I'm always authentic. I don't think I've been as excited for a book release as – uh, it would be either Trisopter by Ondi Culber or uh, the introduction, the, the New Testament in its world, uh, N.T. Mm. Wright's new book. And I know those are relatively recent, so that may sound like it downplays the excitement, but oh no, yeah, this that, excitement is high, very high. Well, if I'm in any conversation with N.T. Wright, you know, I did take a photo with him, so I consider myself BFS with, with Tom. Uh, but um, any, yeah, when you move up to Tom's status. <laughs> No, oh, Glenn Packiam is the only one who can call him Tom, I guess. But uh, and Glenn's a good friend of mine, and uh, I think I think they are really BFFs, not me. But um, anyway, um, thanks for the uh, the kind words, Jonathan. You're very welcome, Rich. Would you pray for us with whatever's yeah. on your spirit? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pray for us. What I I pray for myself because I, I bet I'm not alone in being distracted in this world. So. Lord, um, for every person listening, um, may we be present to your presence uh, in the various ways that your presence uh, expresses itself, whether, Lord, through our neighbor, through our children, through our spouse, through the work that you've entrusted us with, whether through uh, the created world, through nature and trees and grass. And Lord, whatever. Um, wherever your presence is to be found and your presence is found everywhere, may we be present to that. Uh, Lord, in this world of 
distraction and living in this continuous state of partial attention. May we be rooted and grounded in you. May we find our identity in you. And may we slow down just enough to receive your love out of which we offer it to the world around us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Rich. Wow. I love that guy. So much wisdom and grace and honesty. Uh, Seriously, go follow Rich on Twitter uh, and Instagram and uh, pre-order his book, The Deeply Formed Life, Five Transformative Values to Root Us in the Way of Jesus. It's linked in the show notes and uh, go get that book. You'll find this book and all the books that I talk about on my Amazon store, amazon.com slash shop slash Jonathan Puddle or amazon.ca slash shop slash Jonathan Puddle or amazon.co.uk slash shop slash Jonathan Puddle and you'll find links to all the books and and resources that people have put out that I've had here on the show. One stop shop for you and uh, and it supports the show as well. So thank you very much. Much love to you all. I'm praying for you. I'm standing with you. My heart is so grieved and so heavy at the pain in this world and I uh, yeah, I feel you. Reach out to me. Let me know how you're doing.